time before we do the preaching today. Let's pray together. Jesus, God, we thank you for your spirit and your anointing that's here. God, I pray that you would continue to minister um, today. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, you would draw us closer to you. Yeah, for your word today, in Jesus' name, let your will be done, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You can, uh, you can be seated if you want. Um, sometimes I preach, sometimes I teach, sometimes I do a mix. I don't know what this one is. We'll find out, I guess. Um, I set this story up. Israel, um, Israel's backslidden against God, which doesn't really help figure out where we are in the Old Testament. That's pretty much everywhere. But um, they're backslidden against God. They've disobeyed Him over and over, and they've constantly turned to idols, and um, they're constantly worshiping other gods and trying to be like the other nations around them, um, despite of the fact that God um, warned them over and over and over not to do this or something's going to happen. He told them that uh, what would happen if they didn't continue to listen, but like most people, Israel did not take it seriously because it didn't happen instantly. And so one day, eventually, what God warned would happen did happen. And one day the punishment did come, as it always does. And the nation of Israel was destroyed and her people were led into captivity. And Israel uh, was a divided nation at this time. The two nations, Israel and Judah. Um, the Assyrians took Israel and later Judah was taken captive by Babylon. But God had told them that if they would turn to him, he would bring them back. He's a merciful God. He's a forgiving God. And so somewhere in the 500s BC, 42,360 Jews under the direction of the Babylonian king Cyrus made their way back to Jerusalem. The city by this time had been destroyed. The walls were rubble. The temple had been ransacked and emptied and destroyed. And um, we've preached and taught before about Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And this takes place a little bit before Nehemiah comes. And so the 42,360 Jews, they were led back to Jerusalem by a man named Zerubbabel. He was a, a Jewish governor. He was working under the king Cyrus, he was also the grandson of the last king of Judah before captivity, Jeconiah. And so he's of the line of David as well. And Zerubbabel, he leads the first wave of returnees to Jerusalem. And he, along with a high priest named Joshua, they're given the task of rebuilding the temple. And Zerubbabel, he's mentioned a few times in the Minor Prophets in Haggai, God says he's a chosen servant of God. And interestingly enough, he's also listed in the genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament. Um, but if we could sum up who Zerubbabel was or is, he's a, he's a man. He's an heir to the king of Judah. Uh, he's chosen by God to do a work for the kingdom and to rebuild the temple. And spiritually, Zerubbabel could be you or me. We are, according to Romans 8 and 17, we're heirs the king. Uh, we are, according to 1 Peter 2 and 9, chosen by God. We're called to do a work for the kingdom. We're called to build the kingdom. We're called to do these things. And uh, one more character to introduce before I get to the preaching part. 
Um, around the same time as Zerubbabel was doing this, there was a prophet named Zechariah. You may recognize his name. He's got his own book. Um, it's called Zechariah, in case you're interested. Um, but the main themes of his book is repentance and turning back to God, rebuilding the temple. He's also got some revelation-type visions in there if you're into that sort of thing. Um, and so Zerubbabel, he sets out to do this task, what he's called by God to do, what he's ordained by God to do. And with every task and with every calling, there are hurdles. And there are things that stand in the way. And we like to think that, you know, the door opens and everything's just smooth and just go out. And, uh, but rarely does it work like that. And so he's working and we get to this passage in Zechariah um, 4. It says, And then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of God unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who are thou, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. So we're going to preach today on by my spirit. Tonight we're going to do part two in the second verse. Um, but by my spirit, we're going to focus on verse six. And so Zerubbabel, he's working for the kingdom. He's trying to do this incredible thing, rebuild the temple. It's a massive rebuild project. It's a difficult task. If you ever tried to rebuild anything, it's not easy. Um, the temple was originally built. There were 30,000 men working in three groups. And these guys were construction workers. They were builders and they knew what they were doing. But it still took them seven years to do it. Zerubbabel has 42,000 people, men, women, and children. Not all of them are going to be working on the temple. Not all of them know how to work on the temple. They're not all construction workers. They're not all um, restorationists. They're not all whatever. They don't know all how to do this. This is a monumental task. And no doubt, Zerubbabel's feeling a little bit overwhelmed. The Bible says there was a mountain in his way. But the thing is, when, when God calls us to do a task, it's, not, uh, it's normally a bit overwhelming. It's normally a bit outside of what we're comfortable with. It's normally a bit bigger than something we can do on our own because God's going to help us to do it. I've told you before many times about how we went on AIM and we needed 15,000 US dollars to raise. And we had, a, we were approved in January, we were supposed to leave in June. So we had a very short window to raise that money. Um, I was a manager at McDonald's, I was living paycheck to paycheck. You know, I didn't have 15,000 in the bank. Um, I know to some people that's not a lot of money. But to us, that was a very, that was a very large sum. It was an impossible thing for us. Um, but and then as we're trying to raise money and all this, other expenses keep popping up because they just give you the budget, you know, your plane ticket and what you need to get there or live there. Um, but we needed vaccines to go. You can't even get in the country with a, a yellow fever vaccine. And there were five of us, and we all needed to get it, and that ended up being about another $1,000 or so. And then we all needed visas, which they don't put on the, the budget, and that's another $1,000 or something. We all, the kids needed passports, and that all adds up, and all these different things, and just kept piling up. We, need, we didn't have enough suitcases, because we've never taken everybody, you know, we, we, don't, we only had a couple of suitcases, because just put them in the trunk and go. We never went for months. You know, we didn't have to bring all that stuff. And so we needed all these different things kept piling up. But every step of the way, 
God just kept providing and God just kept making a way. And I really, I still don't know how it worked. I don't even know how. We didn't even raise the full budget, but somehow we made it while we were there and got home and still had a little bit left over. And every step of the way, he just kept doing it. And when we're called to do a thing that we could not do, we're often called to do something that we can't do on our own. God will ask us to do something and it seems like an impossible thing. And sometimes we'll just say, I'm not going to do it because I, I don't know how it it doesn't make sense. I can't do it. And a lot of, I find that sometimes we know what God does. He gives us a vision. He gives us a dream. And it's terrifying because we don't know how it's going to work. We don't know how it's going to come to pass. We don't even see how this thing is possible. The Bible compares the task in front of Zerubbabel to a mountain. This huge thing that needs to be done. And like Zerubbabel, we've been called to work for the kingdom. We've been called to make disciples. We're called to preach and teach repentance to, to everyone and to baptize people in the name of Jesus and to lead them to him and to live a life of holiness and to follow after Jesus daily and to pursue him and train the next generation and do all of these things and more according to the Bible. And those are just, you know, generic type of things that we're all called to do. And that doesn't include when Jesus speaks and asks of us things personally, which I still believe that he does. And and we can look at this huge task before us and we can be overwhelmed. You know, how are we going to do it? You know, how are we ever, you know, how are we ever going to reach our towns and communities? There's too many people. How am I ever going to see my family saved? How am I ever going to reach my co-workers? How is the church ever going to grow? How are we going to build what God is calling us to build? Because the numbers can be daunting. The task appears impossible. There's 1,800 people in Middleton, that doesn't include the surrounding areas where a lot of us live. And there are, we have, I think, 26 people here today, 30-ish on a good day. My whole family's here. That brings the numbers up a bit. But how are we going to reach everyone? How are we going to, you know, reach our kids when they're fed garbage all week long? It seems like an impossible task. But when Zerubbabel was feeling like this, an angel shows up to the prophet Zechariah with a word for him. He says, this is the word of the Lord, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He says, this is what you need to know, Zerubbabel. It's not by might. It's not by power. This thing isn't going to be done that way. This task isn't going to be done that way. You don't have the skills. Sorry, Zerubbabel. You don't have the workers. You don't have the supplies or the abilities. David stored up supplies for Solomon to build the temple for years. It was all ready for him. It was all laid out, and it still took him seven years with skilled workers. You don't have what it takes, Zerubbabel. That's not how this is going to work. He says it's by my spirit. And problems come when we try to do it on our own, and when we come... Uh, problems come when we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, and I'm going to figure this out, and we leave God out of it. When we don't pray, or we don't fast, or we don't seek His face, we don't rely on Him, or we rely completely on ourselves. That's when we get in trouble, and that's when it becomes overwhelming. And that's when we get weighed down with it all, and that's when the task seems insurmountable. Can I win this town by myself? No. I don't have the strength, the stamina. I talk to five people and I'm done. 1,800. I don't even know what would happen to my brain. I need to go rest. That's how I work. I don't have the personality. It's hard to believe, I know. 
Most people don't come here to hear, to see this before you. I thought you come and you see it, but I don't know. I pray that's not the reason. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the ability. I don't have the mind or the power to do it. Can I win this town? No, I can't. Can I build this church? No, I don't have the, I don't have the mind or the power. I definitely don't have the charisma that some pastors do. People are just attracted to them. I repel people. I'm not friendly enough or smart enough or organized enough. I don't have enough money or time or ability. There are some who have a natural ability to gather a crowd, to get people to come and listen to them. I, I don't have that. And if you do, it's not going to last anyway. Or it's not going to be a real church. It's just going to be a group of people gathering around. Don't leave it. That's called a cult. The only way this is going to work is if we have his spirit working in us. Our talent, our ability, our strength, our might, our charisma, whatever, it can only go so far. And yeah, they needed to, they needed to use what they had to rebuild. They had to do the work. They had to use the tools they had. They had to use the supplies they had. But it was, they needed the spirit working through them to accomplish what it was that God wanted to do in Jerusalem. In the book of Acts, Jesus makes a promise to his disciples. He says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. It says there's, you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come on you. There's a power that comes by His Spirit. There's a power that only comes from being filled with the Holy Ghost. The word power comes from the word dynamis or dunamis, which means we get the word dynamite from. It's an explosive power. It's something that cannot be stopped. You can't stop the dynamite when it's blowing up. You can try, but that'll be that for you. It's an unstoppable force. You can't fight it. You can't stand against it. You can't kill it. You can't silence it or lock it up. There's a power that cannot be stopped. And that's a power that comes when we have the Holy Ghost. We have access to that power. The same power that created the world and speaks things into existence. That heals the lame, the blind, the deaf, the mute. That heals cancer. That power. There's a power in the spirit. Power over sin. Power over a life of sin. Over our pasts. Power over addiction, depression, disease. There's a power to live for God in a world that doesn't want you to, that's fighting against you. In the Old Testament, there were over 600 rules and no one was able to live by all of them. They always messed up and failed and couldn't do it on their own. The same now, we can't do it on our own. We try to be a good person. We try to do the right things, but unfortunately, we always fail. But the Holy Ghost gives us power to overcome that. We still may fall and fail sometimes, but it helps us to get back up and to move on and restore and triumph over those things. The Holy Ghost empowers the believer to testify and to be a witness. And Zerubbabel, he was trying to rebuild the temple by his own might and by his own power. And God showed up with a word and said, it might, it's not by might, Zerubbabel, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. This is how we're going to get things done. It's by my spirit. And we can try all we want with our might. We can try all we want with our power and our abilities and our talents and all this 
We can practice playing instruments all day long and practice singing all day long and we can work on sermons until we're, they're so finely tuned and crafted and dripping with eloquence and that people come from miles around just to hear how clever we are and we can be the friendliest people in town. We can have events every day of the week and invite everyone we know and we can put on concerts and feed the poor and we can give away everything we own and all of this stuff. But if we don't have the Spirit, we're powerless. And it's not going to last. It's not going to work. It's not going to be effective. True power comes by the Spirit. We can try all we want. We might be able to get so far, but it's only by the Spirit that we can truly accomplish what God wants to do in our lives. When the church started, they were, the Jewish people were kind of upset about how it was going. And they said, well, remember when this other thing happened in the past? And it fizzled out. And I said, if this is of God, it'll last. If it isn't, it'll just implode and it'll fall apart. If we have God in it, if we have His Spirit in it, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to build, it'll last. When we're trying to do it on our own, it's going to fall apart. It might work for a while. We may get some numbers. We may, whatever, be the talk of the town. I don't know what your goal is. We may, whatever attract all this stuff, but if we don't have God's spirit working, it's not going to last. It's going to fall apart. I'm just going to talk about the spirit for a minute. Why do we need the spirit of God? Why can't we do things on our own? I'm sure we've all wondered this. <laughs> First thing, we need the spirit because it equips us for spiritual warfare. Galatians 5 16 to 18 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust, sorry, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. That's just fancy talk for saying there's a war between the flesh and the Spirit going on in our lives. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Basically, what he's saying there is that we're in a battle between spirit and the flesh. I know a lot of times we try to present everything as positive and warm and fuzzy. Well, I don't, but that's what other people want me to. But the truth of the matter is we're in a battle. We're warring against the gates of hell. We're in a fight for our souls and the souls of others. We're soldiers in the kingdom of God. There's not something that we talk about a lot anymore, but it doesn't make it any less true. There's a war going on even inside of us, and we struggle to do the right thing. We battle against flesh, against our old nature, and there are things that we try and try and try to overcome, but it seems like no matter how much we try, we can't. It's only by His Spirit working in us that we can. There are addictions that are only broken by the Spirit of God. There's hearts that are broken hearts that are only bound by the Spirit of God. There's depression that's only lifted through the Spirit of God. There's forgiveness and restoration that only comes by His Spirit. We face constant battles and they can become overwhelming. And the only way that we're going to overcome them is by the power of the Spirit. We need His Spirit working in us for, for warfare, for, for the fight. The only way we're going to be able to do it is through His Spirit. 2 Corinthians 10 3 to 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we live in the physical, 
We do not war after the flesh. We are physical beings. That's what I added. For the weapons of the warfare, are not for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I don't know why I struggled to read that one so much. But we are in a battle, and this battle cannot be won through physical weapons. It's not won in the comment section on Facebook or YouTube, telling people off and how smart you are. It's not one in the arguments with our neighbors or our family members and trying to put them in their place. You can argue and try to win people all you want with your own reasoning, with your own knowledge, and your own might, and your own power. But the Bible says no man comes to God unless the Spirit draws him. This battle is won in the prayer room. It's won on our knees. It's won through fasting, through the tearing down and pulling down of strongholds in the Spirit. We need the Spirit working in us. It's one in the spirit. We're fighting to live for Jesus. We're fighting to expand the kingdom. Zerubbabel, no doubt, had some worries and some concerns. There's a spiritual aspect in doing anything for the kingdom. Morale gets low. The enemy doesn't want the temple rebuilt. Think of the story of Nehemiah. The enemy came and taunted them and made fun of them and tried to distract them. That's a spiritual thing. The enemy didn't want the temple rebuilt, didn't want people worshiping God again the right way, didn't want the sacrifices. There's going to be a spiritual attack whenever we try to do anything for the kingdom. And so we need the spirit working in us for this. Does that make sense? I guess I'm teaching now. That's what we're doing. We need the spirit for protection. Why do we need protection? The rest of the world seems to make it okay without protection from the spirit. So why do we need it? Simply because... This may come as a shock, but we're in direct opposition to the rest of the world. And that upset you? Sorry about that, but it's the truth. John 15 and 19, Jesus said, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Everyone hates me. Good. They're supposed to. The world hates us, or they should. The enemy hates us. Not because we're rude. Or bullies. Or we're just not going to get into that. But not because we're that. Not because of our personality. If they hate you because of that, that's a different reason. But because we worship and follow Jesus. We're always going to be against what the world is doing. Everyone gets so upset that sinners are sinning. Surprise, surprise. That's what they're going to do. They're not going to like when we're not doing it because it makes them feel wrong. Because they are. We need to come to God. But we need protection because the world is against us. There's a hatred that comes and we need protection for that. How do we ask for protection? How do we know what's going to happen? What do we need protecting from? The good news is, Jesus said, Matthew 6 and 8, Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. He knows what we need. We just pray and we ask him to protect and keep his hand on us. That doesn't mean we don't ask because he knows. James 4 and 2 says we have not because we ask not. That means that God is aware of our needs. We can trust him to protect him. We still need to pray and ask. We still need to let the spirit work through us. We may not know what's going to happen, but he does. And so as we pray, we can ask him to protect us through his spirit and power. And he will. The way James 4 is written and implies that there's a battle going on between the flesh and the spirit and we don't have the protection and victory because that we need because we don't ask. He says in verse 1 to 2, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust that war your members? Are there not these things going on inside of you? 
It says, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight in war and you have not because you ask not. There's this stuff going on, there's this battle going on. But because we're not praying, because we're not letting the Spirit work, we're not getting victory over it, we're not being protected from it. Does that make sense? The armor of God, you know that? There's a spiritual armor, we're in a battle, we need spiritual protection. The attack we need protecting from, we may never see it coming, we may not ever be aware of it. I've heard stories of people, you know, praying and felt like God didn't want them to go to this place today or go a different route. And then they find out there was an accident on the way. I remember we went to Ontario a few years when we were here uh, for my grandmother's funeral. And just the way it went, we left at a certain time, something happened, we went a different way. Uh, we got right through, there was a flood, I think, in, in New Brunswick. We got through. The road that we went through was closed later that day. Don't know how that happened. Well, I do, but. And then we decided to stop at a certain place, and then Laval for the night. There was an accident right up the highway the next morning, like later that day or whatever, and then same thing happened in Ontario. There was an accident down the road. We missed all these things. Just because we, we always pray before we go for a trip. Y'all keep your hand on us, all this stuff. And he protects and he doesn't. And there's all kinds of stories like that. We need protection. We may never see it coming, but he does. So when we pray, we pray in the spirit. Let him work. Ask him. Let him do his thing. There's a story a minister told of a time he was he was a young boy and he was planning with someone else to do something sinful after school. They were going to do something that they weren't supposed to do. And he hurried home to drop off his books and had a lie ready to tell his mother about where he was going to go, who he was going to be with. He had it all set up. She expected or suspected nothing, but she ref refused to let him go. And she, or sorry, he pressed her for a reason. She had none. Never had her mother do that? No. Why? Because I said so. So that's what it was. No. Why? Because she didn't have a reason. She just felt like, no. This is what I'm saying. No. She just put her foot down stubbornly and would not give in. He argued and argued and argued and finally gave up and went to his room knowing that his friend was going to get tired of waiting for him and give up. This is back before we had phones. Cell phones. And years later, he asked his mother if she remembered that day when he and she argued so about his going to whoever's house after school. To his surprise, she remembered it perfectly because she had been secretly ashamed of her actions that day because she didn't really know why she said no. This felt like no and said it. She felt that she had been unfair to her son, but she never apologized because of how angry he had been with her. And when he confessed to her that they, what he had planned to do, one that probably would have changed the course of his life, the only thing that both of them could come to the conclusion was that the Holy Ghost had intervened that day and caused her to tell him no. Her godly motherhood required her to protect her children and she could not protect her son from this sin because she didn't know what was planned. But the Holy Ghost knew and his power brought protection. When we walk in the Spirit, there's a protection that comes. When we pray for these things, God answers our prayer. Acts 16 and 6, Paul and Timothy 
They wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Ghost forbid them. Why? We will never know, but it can be assumed that there was a reason. Perhaps it was a protection thing. I've heard stories of missionaries trying to go places and things not working out. And then something happens that day, and they didn't know what was going to happen. You know, there's sometimes God says no, and there's a reason, and it's for protection. We may never know the reason, but we can assume that God's got his hand on it. If we're submitted to him, that's what he's doing. We walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit. He will guide us like a shepherd, and he will not lead us to destruction. He will protect us. So again, we need a Spirit to protect us, and he guides us. This is okay this morning. All right. We got performance may not be the best word, but we're keeping the P theme. We need a Spirit for performance, to do what it is that he's asking us to do. There are things that we're called to do as children of God. There are things the, the Word tells us to do, and when we try and attempt to do them without the Spirit working in our lives, it's, it's painfully obvious. You know, when we try to pray for someone to be delivered from sin, we don't got the Holy Ghost working in us. Good luck with that. When we pray for people to be healed of sickness or disease, and we don't got the Spirit working in us, sometimes it's quite obvious. Pray for someone to be delivered from whatever, demon possession, addictions, whatever. If we don't have the Spirit working, um, try to battle against spiritual things. We need His Spirit in our lives working to do what it is that He's calling us to do. If you want to preach without having the Spirit working, good luck. You want to minister in any way. You want to you get someone up here filled with the Holy Ghost. Singing, you can tell. You get someone up here praying, full of the Holy Ghost, you can tell. You get someone witnessing, full of the Holy Ghost, you can tell. There's a difference. God's calling us to do things. We try to do it on our own. It's painfully obvious. When we don't have a spirit working. Right? Can we? We've seen this happen. We've done this and we've tried this on our own. I don't know if you ever try to do any of these things when you're out of line or out of tune with the Spirit, it's a disaster. There's guys in the book of Acts, they try to cast out demons. You know the story? So Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And the guys ripped their clothes off and they sent them running out to the street naked. Everyone knew there was something going on there. Everyone. It's a funny story, but sad. We can't work for God without being empowered by His Spirit. It just doesn't work. We need His Spirit working through us. Jesus said, um, Matthew 28 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So all power is in, in Him. And He told His disciples He'd be given them power. Um, Luke 10 and 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by, shall by any means hurt you. If you pair that with Acts 1 and 8, the power of the Holy Ghost comes on you. There's a power that comes with the Spirit so that we can do the things that God's calling us to do. And we need to do like Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift. In Acts 3 and 6, Peter said to the lame man, silver and gold, have I none but such as I have. What I've been given 
This power of the Holy Ghost, this power in the name of Jesus, such as I have, I give to thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He said, what I have, I give you. The power I've got, I'm giving. It was through the Holy Ghost, through the name of Jesus, he was able to see that man healed. The Holy Ghost gives us power to perform what God is calling us to do. He will equip us. Whatever it is he's calling you to do, he's got the power to do it. Let him work. One more thing, we need a spirit for persuasion. In Luke chapter 2, or 12, 1 to, sorry, I can't read. You can read the numbers. When they bring you into the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, taking no thought how or what thing you shall answer, what you shall say. You think about Peter uh, and John. In Acts chapter 4, they were arrested and brought before, and they said, these men have been with Jesus. There's something different about them. They're ignorant fishermen, but they've been with Jesus. He said, when they bring you to the synagogues and to the magistrates and powers, take you no thought how or what thing you shall answer, what thing you shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. Jesus told his disciples not to worry when they get arrested, when they get put on trial, when they need to defend their faith, or when people are asking. All these questions that the Holy Ghost is going to teach you. The Holy Ghost is going to give you the words. It's happened in Acts chapter 2. Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, got up and preached to the crowd. Nothing prepared. He didn't know what was going to happen that day. He didn't have it all studied out and have his notes ready and all this stuff. He didn't have all the points all ready to go. He just got up and started preaching. 3,000 people were added to the church. When we walk in the Spirit, when we live a life of prayer and submission, to Jesus, you will be surprised at what he does through you. Not by might, but by power, but by my spirit. He will put you in places that you never thought and give you the words to say. I just want to be a vessel that he can use. The old song is used to sing, you can use anything, Lord. You can use me. Let that be our prayer. Again, we need to be people of the spirit. We tend to, I think we tend to drift away from that from time to time. I've preached many times about walking in the spirit or being led by the spirit. That's just another one of those messages. All right. Sue me. It's important. We need to be led by the spirit. We need to be filled with the spirit. You know, this wasn't a message I was all... Sometimes I get messages and I'm like, yeah, this was amazing, so clever, I'm so excited to preach. This wasn't one of those. Tonight's kind of one of those, so I'm excited to preach that one. But this is just practical stuff that we need. We need a spirit working in our lives. If we're going to do anything for the kingdom, if we're going to build anything for the kingdom, we need a spirit working. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's only by His Spirit. We're not going to be able to do this on our own. So Rubabel didn't have the ability to do whatever God was calling him to do. I don't have the ability to do what God's calling me to do. I don't even know how I got up here preaching, to be honest with you. I was in French class. We had to teach the class. I was on level one, the highest level in French in our school. In order to finish that class, you had to teach you had to get up in front of the class and teach a little lesson in French in front of the class. And I said, no, thank you. And I dropped down to the next level and said, I'm not doing it. And so I never got my bilingual certificate 
that I would have got if I just would have got up and done it. That this is, I don't know how I got here. This is it. I got, this is not what I thought I would do with my life. I'd rather be Greg and Steve. <laughs> I don't want, I don't know. This, but by his spirit, it's not, it's not by my ability. It's not by my mind. It's not what my natural talent is. Or I don't even know what that is, but by his spirit, somehow he does things and uses this somehow occasionally and I'm glad for that it's by his spirit not by my power but my, by my spirit says the Lord Zerubbabel didn't have the ability to do what God was calling him to do most of us don't it's by his spirit Zerubbabel he's beating his head against the wall in frustration because it's not working and God shows up with the, the prophet and says listen you, got, you need my spirit this is how we're going to do it we have to remember that we can get so busy working for God that we don't let him work through us anymore I want to be used by the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be led by His Spirit. If you remember, a few months ago, there was that revival thing, prayer meeting happening in the, in Ash, the Ashbury um, University uh, in the States. And I, I believe I told you the story about um, the UPC evangelist, brother uh, Taylor Fish. He felt to go to this and, and try to preach and just wait for a door to open he said just he had his bible already acts uh, i think it was acts 19 where they the disciples of john came and said have you received the holy ghost since you believe and he just went up to this group and um felt to go and another evangelist friend of his went with him and they just they went and and there was another guy from chicago that felt to stay. Felt like God wasn't done with him. He can't come down with his friends and drove his car and he was like, you know, guys, take take my car, go home. I'm just gonna stay a little bit longer. I don't think God's done yet. His name was Scotty. And God lined these two guys up and there was an opening. Someone just looked at uh, Brother Fish and was like, you wanna, you got something to say? He's like, You're, you bet I do. And just started preaching. And all these people started receiving the Holy Ghost around. Scotty was one of them. And he hung out to the end. He, as soon as he got the Holy Ghost, he started praying with others to get the Holy Ghost. And he was like, tell me more. And they talked about baptism in Jesus' name. They took him back to the hotel that they were staying at, baptized him. A couple of days later, they went. Scotty stayed, and he kept preaching to everyone. And this guy, every week, this guy, he's out preaching on the streets now, this Scotty guy. For two months, he's been preaching on the streets People are getting filled with the Holy Ghost. He's doing Bible studies online all the time. Like weekly, almost daily, people are getting baptized through this kid. It's incredible. He's just, people are getting filled with the Holy Ghost through this kid. He's just, God led somebody and led him and put them together. And this is how it's going to happen. It's only through the Spirit. We might not see how it's going to happen. Like nobody thought this was going to Everyone was criticizing this thing and whatever. And God just worked it out. And these two guys met. And he's just doing incredible things through this kid. It's amazing. He's on fire. He's, I've never seen anything like it. I've seen lots of people come into church and then just soak it up and do the thing. I've never seen somebody come in and go out and preach the next day. I've never, this, is like a, this is like a Paul thing. <laughs> like I've never seen this in my life. This is an incredible thing. And he's, God's working through this guy and it's all because 
Somebody felt led. Everyone was criticized. Everyone was saying this and that. And one guy was like, you know what? Let's go. Let's pray for an opening. Pray for us. We're going. And they led him to this guy. And I don't know how many people have gotten baptized with the Holy Ghost from that. And that may be what, God? You may be the tailor fish to a Scotty. You may be the one, the person that wins somebody else. You don't know. But we need to be led by the Spirit. The task before us is incredible. It's a daunting task. There's, there's a lot of people that need to be saved. Our world is messed up. And it's getting worse. And they need somebody to reach them. We need to be led by the Spirit. It's, when I think of the things my kids have to face. Like it's just, it just makes you cry. It breaks, makes you weep. There's such a mess. There's people that don't know it. They don't even know who they are anymore. And basic stuff. It's just so... They need somebody that's led by the Spirit. It's not going to be by our reasoning. We're not going to win them by making fun of them and criticizing and judging and whatever. It's going to be by the Spirit. It's the only way this is going to happen. Does that make sense? I want to be led by His Spirit. I want Him to work through us, through my life. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm done. We're going to open the altar. Let's pray. Let's pray that we'd be led by His Spirit. God wants to do a work in our families. God wants to do a work in our community, in our town. But we need to be led by His Spirit. We're not going to be able to do it on our own. All right, let's pray together. Let's, you want to come to the altar, you can pray. You want to pray in your seats. Let's just find a place. Let's say, God, hallelujah. Jesus, I want to be led by Your Spirit. I want to be led by Your Spirit, Jesus. Not by mind, not by power, but my, my Spirit. That's the only way this is going to be done. I don't have the ability. I don't have the talent. I don't have... The might, the power, whatever. I need your spirit, Jesus. God, lead me, I pray. God, lead me to that hungry soul. Lead me uh, to that person. Hallelujah. Or the next missionary is out in the field. The next soul winner, the next Paul, the next Timothy, the next disciple is out in that field. God, I need you to lead me to them. God, lead us by your spirit. It could be our neighbor. It could be our, could be our grandchildren. It could be... Someone we haven't even met yet. God, when I pray, lead us to them by your spirit. In Jesus' name, God, the task is great. I don't know how we're going to do it. God, I need you to lead us. Hallelujah. Let's pray together.